Good morning. My name is Tyler Morris, and I'm the director of middle school ministries here at LAFC, and I got the delight of being able to preach this morning. Um, we have been in a series called What is Your Story? And this morning, we are going to look at the story of a particular disciple of Jesus. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4, so if you can turn there in your Bibles with me. Ushers are coming down right now, and if you do not have a Bible and would like one, go ahead and put your hand up. They would love to give you one. Also, you can follow along on our YouVersion app. If you click the More and then Events tab, a lot of this uh, stuff will pop up for LAFC. Acts chapter 4. We're going to be doing verses 1 to 22. While you're turning there, um, my hope for you this morning is that you will be able to see through the story of this particular disciple three things. The first one, that God welcomes us. The second one, that Jesus transforms us. And then the third one, the Spirit sends us. God welcomes us, Jesus transforms us, and the Spirit sends us. Before we get actually into the passage, I would like to spend a few brief moments in prayer. So here's what I would ask. Um, just wherever you are right now, if you would just close your eyes, nothing super spiritual, but just helps remove distractions. And then I want you to take a deep breath in with me and then let it out. And let's pray together. Oh, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. Jesus, we come before you this morning. We are still in this moment. We ask, Holy Spirit, please help our minds focus. Help our hearts be humbled to receive your word. Not hard-hearted, but humble. It must be a work of your spirit, for we are too weak. Aid me this morning, please, Lord, to preach your word to exalt Jesus in his sufficient grace and power. Lord, we are all in need of you. I do ask, Holy Spirit, prepare us to come under your word and speak to each of us this morning. For your glory alone, in Jesus' name, amen. So Acts 4 um, is where we're going to start, but I want to give you a, a brief little bit of context to Acts chapter 4, because we are actually hopping into the middle of a story that's happening here. In Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter <clears throat> has healed a man, and not just any man. This is a man who was paralyzed, could not walk, was lame for 40 years. And then Peter begins preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead. And this is where Acts 4 picks up in the middle of this story. So we are going to be reading verses 1 to 22. So it's going to be a good bit of reading, so I would encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. Verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now the next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law all met in Jerusalem, and Annas, the high priest, was there. So were Caiaphas, John, 
Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? I love this part. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all of the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone. And salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they've performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So then they called them back in and commanded them to not speak in that name or teach anyone at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. There is a lot of stuff happening in this context, as well as in this passage. A man was healed. A paralyzed man was healed. He was paralyzed for over 40 years. They are preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. Peter and John are thrown into jail. They're brought before some educated, powerful religious people. I mean, this, I don't know about you, this is not stuff that I experience every day in Lancaster County. So when you hear this story and you think about Peter and John... What first pops into your brain as you read this, as you, as you think about it? What pops into your brain about Peter and John? What do you think about them? I, I think of boldness or courage. I think of an incredibly faith-filled apostles and disciples of Jesus who are undeterred. And then I'm also thinking, man, that'd be really cool to be able to preach like that and Heal like that. Like, these are miraculous works that these disciples are doing. And that thinking, that way of thinking, is what I'm going to call the Acts standard. The Acts standard. Meaning, when we read the book of Acts and we read a passage like this, we see these Christian apostles being bold and proclaiming Jesus to literally thousands of people. And we assume, man, they must have just always been like that. They must have always been bold. They must have always just been able to preach and heal. They must have always just been confident in the Lord, undeterred by the threats of religious people. And we do the same thing today, right? We look at these pastors and we look at other mature and seasoned saints who have been Christians for a long time. We just look at everyone else sitting here 
And we think, man, they look really holy and mature. Man, they must have always just had this deep knowledge of the Bible. They look put together. I bet they don't struggle. And if they do have sin, it must not be as like the really bad sins. Parents, you'll be tempted to do this with your kids, right? Show up on a Sunday morning and look at everyone else's kids and be like, man, they look put together and happy and obedient. You're like, my kids aren't like that. But look at everyone else's, right? We, we, we have this perception when we look at everyone that we just don't struggle. We don't think other people struggle that much. But that isn't true. When we go home, when we're all alone, when we stop putting up this front and we were to genuinely peel back the layers and look at ourselves, we know we're not that. We know that we're full of weakness and sin, failures and burdens and sorrows and sadnesses and imperfections. We look at our life and we're like, we know when we're selfish and impatient, not gentle, frequently grumbling. Yet what do we try to do with our weaknesses? and our sins. Try to hide it. Try to clean it up. We try to make it appear as if we don't actually struggle that much, or at least anymore, right? The idea that, oh, I can share my sins from 10 years ago, but not last week. That's a little too real. It's a little too current for me. We know this about ourselves, but we want everyone else to think we have it together. The reality that we know about ourselves is not uh, the same thing that we're putting out to people. And because that we do this, it continues to feed the lie between people in the church as well as outsiders viewing the church that Christians are the people who must just have it all together and never struggle. They're perfect. We become part of the problem of why we view each other as always being mature and holy, yet us knowing our own struggles. And that causes guilt upon us because we go, I must be the only one. The problem with this fakeness that we are acting towards one another is it is literally robbing Jesus Christ of glory. Our fakeness and lack of showing weaknesses and struggles robs Jesus Christ of glory. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 through 10, Jesus says this to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. His power is most displayed in your weakness. Which is why Paul goes on to say, Therefore, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. In verse 10, for Christ's sake, this is crazy, I delight in weaknesses. He delights in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. We spend our lives trying to make it appear like we don't struggle, like we don't have weaknesses and we don't have sins, and Paul's going, here's my sins, here's my weaknesses, my insults, persecutions, hardships, because Paul understood that in his weakness, when he didn't have to have it together, that is when a sufficient God with sufficient grace would display his power most vividly. So let's get out of this act standard, this Christian standard that we look at one another with and assumes like we have it together, never doubting, 
never angry with God, never broken to the point of not being able to articulate words because that's not reality for any of us. We are weak. We are sinful. We do doubt God. We are angry at him. We do suffer. That's our reality. Let's not avoid it because God's grace can be sufficient for us in that. Not only are we weak, but so was Peter. Peter was a man just like us who had weaknesses, lacks in the faith. So what I want to do is I wanted to start with chapter 4 and looking at Peter boldly preaching in the name of Jesus and healing people. And I want to backtrack out of Acts 4 so that we can look. That's not where Peter started. The story of Peter does not begin in Acts 4. So that when we look back at the journey that he's been on with Jesus, we will then be able to only proclaim when we get back to Acts chapter 4 that it was a sufficient God with his power who transformed Peter alone. So I, I want you to think about Peter as a disciple of Jesus. Think about all that he had experienced. I mean, countless miracles. He was with them in the garden when Jesus was praying the night he was betrayed. He was with them at the Mount of Transfiguration. He was with them when Jesus fed the 5,000. Peter was a part of Jesus' public teachings. He was also had the behind-the-scenes look at Jesus. Yet in all of this, Peter himself, a disciple, was on a journey. He was on a journey of faith. Paul, or, uh, Peter certainly had moments of faith that were commendable, but this morning I want to focus on the areas that, uh, that Peter was human and his weaknesses were revealed. Here's a short list of the weaknesses of Peter. In Matthew 14, 31, this is a situation when Jesus is walking on the water and Peter commands, he says, Jesus, command me to come out. He starts walking, he becomes fearful of the waves. And this is what Jesus says to him. He says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter had little faith. Peter doubted. Mark 8.33, it's a situation where um, Jesus is speaking about his sufferings that he is going to partake in. And Peter comes up and rebukes Jesus and says, no, 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 Jesus, you didn't, you didn't come to suffer and die. Jesus, you came to redeem Israel as the victorious king. And this has got to be one of the scariest moments in Scripture. Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. I would not want to be on the other end of that look. Get behind me, Satan. He rebuked Peter and then told him, Peter, you are a man who has set your minds on earthly things, on the things of man, not on the things of God. Peter was rebuked. Peter was earthly minded. Matthew 18, Peter comes to Jesus and has a question. He says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Peter didn't have all the answers. Peter had questions. He needed to be taught. When I already mentioned, Matthew 26, when they're in the garden, Jesus uh, tells his disciples, and he says, watch and pray. And Peter closes his eyes and sleeps. Jesus comes back and responds to him and says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter was weak. And all of this culminates, I believe, in Peter's denial of Jesus. Not once, not twice, 
but three different times. Peter had little faith. Peter doubted. Peter was set on the things of man, not of God. Peter was rebuked by Jesus. Peter had questions. Peter was weak, and Peter denied Jesus. Do you see this? Acts 4 has not always been Peter. He was not always boldly preaching in the name of Jesus. There was a point when he was actually embarrassed to be associated with Jesus. Think about his denial. Think about his denial. It had to be one of the lowest points in Peter's life. I mean, imagine this. One of the things that you are mostly known for is your denial of your savior, your rabbi, your teacher, the son of God. And then that denial is written down in every single gospel account and then is read by billions of people. Talk about being exposed for weaknesses. It says in Matthew 26, verse 75, that uh, after the third time Peter had denied Jesus, the rooster crowed, Jesus looks at him, and then it says, a short phrase that we often overlook, says that he left and wept bitterly. Just hours, hours earlier, he had emphatically proclaimed to Jesus, even if all fall away, Lord, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, I won't disown you, Jesus. And now he sits in a pool of his own tears, weeping bitterly after denying Jesus three times. Imagine the sorrow he must have felt, the guilt, the unworthiness to be even known by Jesus. The weakness, the lack of faith, he had let down Jesus. So how did Jesus respond? In Peter's greatest failure, in Peter's, Peter's greatest moment of weakness, how did Jesus respond? Did Jesus condemn him? Did Jesus reject him? Did Jesus just shake his head in disappointment? We read of a story in John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17, about an interaction with Jesus post-denial, post-resurrection, and I think it hits at the heart of Jesus so well. Here's what the story says. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And so he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Days before, Peter had denied Jesus, was filled with sorrow, weeping bitterly, and in his mind had broken the fellowship of a relationship with his rabbi, Jesus. And now we come to a personal interaction after all of this, after his denial and after his resurrection. The thoughts going through Peter's mind must have been, how can I come back and even 
interact with you, Jesus. And Jesus addresses him in the most welcoming and tender way. Jesus responded with restoration to him. Picture this. For each of Peter's denials, Jesus responds with the question of restoration. Peter says, I do not know this man. Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? I I do not know this man. Peter, do you love me? I swear, I do not know this man. Peter, do you love me? Jesus welcomed Peter, loved Peter, restored Peter. And after his biggest failure, his biggest moment of weakness, Jesus still came to him as a loving and tender shepherd to restore him. And that Jesus is not just for Peter. That Jesus is for each and every one of you as well. For each and every one of you who feels like Peter did in his denial. You feel like a failure. You feel unable to be perfect and you feel the pressure of the world's expectations upon you. This Jesus is for you. If you are filled with sorrow over your constant sins, the grievousness of your sins, how frequently you fall into your sins, the tender, loving shepherd welcomes you. If you're stuck in guilt and embarrassment so that you just keep hiding and hiding from Jesus, the tender, loving shepherd welcomes you. If you're exhausted, if you're ashamed of your past, if you're paralyzed by the doubts of the truthfulness of Christianity, the tender, loving shepherd's for you. If you're suffering at the hands of crippling anxiety or worry, or you're too sad to even be able to express words, the tender, loving shepherd welcomes you. To those of you lowly, needy, weak, poor in spirit, there is good news that our Savior and shepherd, Jesus Christ, welcomes you. And he has come for you. He says, come to me. He says, I love you. Come to me. Come to me. I will restore you. Note, Peter didn't, or Jesus didn't come to Peter after the resurrection and saying, Peter, why did you deny me? Three years, buddy. After all of this, how could you? He didn't come to Peter and shake his head in disappointment. Peter, you failed me again. He came to Peter and strengthened him, and restored him, and loved him. The tender and loving shepherd, Jesus Christ, is calling to some of you this morning, and he's saying, don't run to those sins. They're not going to satisfy. Don't suppress your sin and avoid it, because as much as you push it away, it's not going to cleanse you. It's not going to bring you freedom. Don't hide The shepherd's calling. He's saying, don't hide from me. Don't stay in darkness because light is where there is freedom. Don't keep trying so hard to meet everybody's standards and perfections because you won't be able to and it won't give you the success and the accomplishment and the feeling of peace that you're looking for. He's saying, don't go there. But the shepherd is saying and beckoning to you, come to me for I satisfy and I fill 
Come to me because my blood can wash away your sins, your guilty conscience. Come to me because I love you. I love you not based on your performance. I love you. He's saying, come to me if you're burdened and weary from the pressures of life. I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. He's saying, come to me because I'm your shepherd and I am all that you need. God welcomes you through Jesus, just like he welcomed Peter. So I, I want to give you a few moments to respond accordingly and come before Jesus. We'll only take 30 seconds or a minute, but just in your seat right now, thinking between you and God, how is he calling you to respond? What is he stirring in your heart now? Maybe you've been holding on to things so tightly and you need to let them go. Maybe you need to come and confess your sin. Come and receive love that is better than life. Come and behold who he is. Come for rest. Come for healing. Come for brokenness. He's beckoning you and he's saying, come to me. So I pray in, in, in this next minute, would you bring to Jesus things that you've been holding on to? And in the silence before the Lord, would you think through what he is asking you to do and how he's calling you to respond? So after about 30 seconds to a minute of your response with the Lord, I'm just gonna close this time in prayer. So this time is yours between you and the Lord. Oh, Lord, we are so weak. We're unable. We doubt. We have anger. We have brokenness and sadness. We've wronged you, but you welcome us. Thank you. Thank you for being tender with us and not condemning us in Christ. May we receive that this morning, not having to earn, not having to work, but just coming before your throne and begging you for grace, begging you for love as we are because you welcome us. Jesus, praise your name and thank you for being a tender, caring, merciful, and loving shepherd to us. We are undeserving. Praise your name, Jesus. Amen. So I told you we had three points. That was the first one. We're going to breeze through the next two here. But I do want us to see that God welcomes us, not the better version of us, not the more holy version of us, which leads us into the second one, which is Jesus now transforms us. God will certainly not let us stay as we are. For indeed, how can we stay as we are? 
when we come before the creator of the heavens and the earth, behold him, the one who made every planet and star and galaxy, the one who is all loving and all powerful, who knows all things, who is eternal, how do we come in contact with him and not leave away changed? To behold him and to interact with him, to be welcomed into his presence, is to be changed, restored, transformed, so that we think differently, we feel differently, we live differently. That's exactly what happened with Peter. The risen Jesus restored and transformed Peter. See, God welcomes us as we are. And he transforms who we are. He welcomes us as we are, and he transforms who we are. What a crazy testimony as we get back into Acts 4, verse 13, of the religious leaders. Here's what it says. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Listen, they were ordinary. They were fishermen, unschooled. And now they're standing before these religious leaders with an immense amount of boldness and courage and knowledge. There's a little phrase there. And they took note that they had been with Jesus. The only answer to ordinary fishermen doing the kinds of things that we see in Acts 4 is they had been with Jesus. Something other than them, was working in them and transforming them and empowering them. We're the same. We're weak, ordinary, prone to wander, sinful human beings, but we are beckoned into the presence of God, welcomed, and then when we come in contact with him, we're leaving transformed in a manner that others might see they'd been with Jesus. That's the only solution for ordinary, weak people like us. They've been with Jesus. So indeed, the Lord welcomes us. Praise the Lord that he transforms us. That has been my prayer for each and every one of you this morning, is maybe a new, maybe the first time, but maybe restored again anew, you would reminded, God welcomes you, and he's in the business of continually transforming you. Your story colliding with Jesus and you walking away changed. This now leads us into our third point as well. God welcomes us, Jesus transforms us, and now the Spirit sends us. If we get back into the book of Acts, we're going to do a brief overview of Acts 1, 2, 3, and 4, because I want you to see what's happening here in this passage. Acts 1 is starting with uh, post-resurrection Jesus about to ascend, so these are his final words to his disciples. And he says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. You see what's happening here, right? He's getting ready to send them out. He had welcomed them. He had discipled them. He had transformed them. And now he's saying, you will be my witnesses and go make disciples of all nations. Yet Jesus knew they couldn't accomplish it on their own. They were too weak. 
They were too human, which is why he promised them and said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Guess what happens in Acts 2 then? Pentecost, Holy Spirit comes in power, falls upon the disciples, and this is when Peter stands up and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ and his resurrection to thousands of people. The guy who was ashamed to acknowledge Jesus is now preaching to thousands of people. To the point where the passage in Acts 2 even says 3,000 of them came to know Jesus and their souls were saved. Acts 3 then, the story that we started with. Peter heals a lame man who had been paralyzed for over 40 years. And then he preaches the good news again. And in Acts 4.4, it says the number has gone to now 5,000. 3,000, then 5,000. This thing is blowing up. And Peter's right at the center of it. Do you now see all that went into this? Peter's journey that he was on. It did not start in Acts 4. It started as a weak man who had faith, who who had little faith and doubted and denied his Savior. But Peter was welcomed and transformed by Jesus and then sent out by Jesus The only solution for what Peter's doing in Acts 4 is the work of Jesus Christ made empowered through the Holy Spirit. That's it. He was an ordinary man. And the testimony of Scripture isn't just with Peter here. God has been doing this throughout all of Scripture, and he is continuing to do that today in our lives, continuing to welcome people, transform people, and send them out. So you are a part of this. You, sitting here, are a part of experiencing who God is. And I pray that this morning, that that would be real. You might have experienced the welcoming, loving shepherd again and are beginning already to be transformed again. So don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of your weakness. Don't be ashamed of your sin. Don't be ashamed of your burdens and your failures because God knows in your weakness his sufficient grace will shine through and his power will be made perfect in you. Don't hide your faults or your sins or your failures, but share them like Paul did. Share your weaknesses so that we would all see we don't have it together. But there's a loving God with sufficient grace for each of us. And that way, There's only one person to glorify. There's only one person to boast in, and that is God. So let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, thank you for sufficient grace. We are undeserving. We are deserving of judgment and wrath and condemnation, but because of you, Jesus, you welcome us. You lead us beside still waters. You restore our soul. You are with us and your rod and your staff comfort us. Thank you. Jesus, be glorified in this moment that though we are weak, you are strong. Though there is weakness and sin in us, there is sufficient grace for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
what else can we do in response than to confess our weakness, but also confess the glory and the strength of our Savior? Church, let's stand as we do that together.
one more time. Let's sing, I may be weak. Because I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail, my God, you never will. I love that line. Though we are weak, his spirit is strong in us. So we come back to the uh, question that we have with our series. What is your story? Some of you have been uh, welcomed by the Lord again this morning and transformed and reminded of his care and love for you. Yet others of you might have a different story. One that's currently happening. A story where God is seeking to draw you to himself, calling out to you to come to me. If you're here this morning with a story of one who does not know Jesus, has not been walking with him, know the same offer applies to you. He says, come to me. Turn from your sins and come and find satisfaction in him. For anybody interested in praying or talking more about these things, we would welcome you to our encounter room back there under the stadium seating. So church, to those of you who have been bought by the blood of Jesus, what is your story of Jesus welcoming you and transforming you? Because Jesus is asking and calling you to share it. He's sending you out by the power of his spirit. God welcomes you, transforms you, and now sends you. I want to end with these words from Acts 4, verses 19 and 20. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help but speak and tell the things that we have heard and seen. So LEFC, would we be a people who can't help but speak and tell of the things that we have heard, experienced, and seen in Jesus. So go in the power of the Spirit and share your story, his story, of love and goodness to you. Thank you for joining us this week, and we hope to see you next Sunday.